0: To leak, all your floors really squeak. You live in a money pit. If your basement needs a pump, all your plates look like a dump. You live in a money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home, sweet home. I on an
1: 888
2: money pit. The Money Pit is presented by
3: Riverbend Home. Now,
2: here are Tom and Leslie.
3: Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
3: Do you have a decor dilemma need help solving a home improvement problem? Got a project in mind you'd like to get done? We're here to help you get those projects done once, done right, and not have to do it again and again and again. That's like the Groundhog Day scenario. You know, we keep fixing things like a crack, it keeps opening up again. We'd love to help you take on those projects and create the space we know you want your home to be. There's a couple of ways to participate in this program because it is a participation sport. You can reach out to us through our website at moneypit.com post your questions there. Always helpful when you post a photo or a video to assist as well. Uh, if you check the box we'll call you back the next time we are in the studio or you can just call us 24 7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT talk to uh, one of the talented MoneyPit team screeners. They'll take your name your number and your topic and we'll contact you when we produce a program or you can reach out to us through any of our social media channels because we really want to hear what's important for you, especially this time of year. It's the fall. It's a season of change. Temperatures are dropping. It's getting colder outside. The heating bills are going to start to, uh, to come on strong here. We're also in the midst of fire season. That time of year, when we get a lot of house fires. So whatever projects you'd like to get done, we would love to help. Hey, coming up on today's show, if you love the look of greenery around the outside of your house, but maybe you got a black thumb when it comes to getting greenery to flourish inside, we're going to have a solution for just that.
0: And it might not be a homeowner's favorite thing to do, but if you've got a septic tank, taking care of it is crucial to avoid a very big mess. We're going to have tips on how to keep your septic system happy.
3: And if you're lucky enough to have a sprinkler system for your lawn, now's the time when that system needs to be winterized. You don't want to see what happens when it's not, trust me. It's not pretty. It happened to me once by accident, and it's a real mess. So we're going to explain what needs to happen to avoid broken sprinkler pipes just ahead.
0: And as we head into the end of the year, now is a great time to take on some bath renos that you'd like to get done before the holidays. And one way to do just that is to enter the RiverbendHome.com Beautiful Bath Sweepstakes. We're giving away $3,500 in beautiful fixtures, faucets, and more to three winners from American Standard and Growy. It's all available at riverbendhome.com. To enter, just go to moneypit.com slash sweepstakes.
3: But first, we want to know what you want to know. Your questions are next. Leslie,
0: who's first? Well, this is a perfect question for this time of year. We've got Bill in Kentucky on the line with a question about clogged gutters. What's going on?
4: I have a gutter on the back side of my house that I've got gutter guard on it, and I noticed that it was or overflowing during big rainstorms and I pulled the gutter guard off and it looks like there's sitting water in this section of gutter okay. and I'm wondering what I can do about that or uh, if that's something that's outside of uh, Homeowner's ability.
3: So, um, first of all, does the gutter itself appear to be clogged? In other words, does the are the downspouts free flowing? If you were to wash them down, run run a hose down the downspout, is it all the water come out? Is there anything obstructed? Because I'm thinking that maybe you might have a sagging gutter, because the gutters have to have a pitch to them. They start, you know, in the middle of the gutter. If you have say a leader at both ends, the middle section of the gutter has to be up higher, and then they sort of pitch down ever so slightly to where those downspouts are. And if they fall out of adjustment, that's why you could have water sitting in the middle of it. That's one reason. The other reason, if it's simply clogged. So do you know if it's clogged or not?
4: Yeah, I did check the downspout there. It is not clogged. And actually, there is a little dent in the gutter where it looks like a tree branch must have hit it during a storm sometime Mm -hmm. this past summer. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is out of alignment there.
3: So that's really the only other thing that's going on here. So, And I don't think it's a big problem unless it's really, really filled in the middle. But if you have a little bit of water sitting in it, uh, it's not going to cause any uh, any problem because it's out of alignment. If you want to rehang the gutter, what you would have to do is you would have to pull out the gutter spikes that are holding it in place uh, towards that center section. You may have to pull out four or five of them. And the gutter will tend to get a little floppy at that moment, but it won't fall down. And then when you, when you lift it up higher and you put in the new spikes, you may have to move them to a different position because the holes can't be too close to each other. They might like the even we try to put a new hole in it might sort of fall into the old hole, if you know what I mean. But I'll tell you this the way to make sure that this doesn't happen nearly as often is when you replace those gutter spikes, which are the long nails, they're about seven inches long, there's a type of screw. It's like, like a gutter lag bolt. Usually you have to put it in with an Allen uh, key in your drill and These are like long lag bolts, and once you put them in, they absolutely positively can't come out. They can't get loose, and they hold the gutters a lot more securely, and they're really cheap. They come in brown and white. You find them at the home centers, and every time I've ever fixed a gutter on my house or my family's house, I've always used these lag screws instead.
4: Okay. Is that something that I'd be able to do from the roof, or do I need to have a a ladder and whatnot?
3: You can do it from the ladder. It would be a lot safer to do it, like, with a gutter in front of you from a ladder. You could probably rig this up. But some ladders also have, um, like, a, a section that sort of pushes it off away from the house so you're not kind of crushing the gutter. Guys that do this all the time, they have this extra sort of U-bracket that is in the bottom of the ladder, and it holds it against the house, even though there's a little bit of space between that and the gutter. But, frankly, I've done it leaning against the gutter and just sort of pulled the gutter up between the ladder, and it seems to work. Uh, you know, you just got to be careful in terms of if you're comfortable on a ladder or not.
4: Yeah the the main reason i worry about the sitting water is just cuz of mosquitoes and um because they, they're a real pest around
3: here. Yeah, if you live in an area that's got mosquitoes, um, I recommend a product called Dynatrap, D-Y-N-A-T-R-A-P. I've had them now for going on, what, four, maybe five years. And this thing is amazing because you plug it in in the spring and you don't turn it off until the weather gets really cold, like in November. And it kind of manages the mosquito population because I live pretty close to a wetlands that's fairly mosquito-infused. Uh, and uh, what this Dynatrap does is it attracts the mosquitoes mosquitoes, and then it sucks them into a basket where they dry out. And it does so in a way that it reduces their populations and stops them from reproducing. And it takes about three weeks to take effect. But then after the first three weeks, you'll definitely see a dramatic reduction in the number of mosquitoes around your house. We used to have candles and, you know, cutter insect repellent in baskets, (laughs) you know, all around our our patio. And I tell you what, I didn't think I got a single bug bite eating dinner outside in the evenings uh, once I started putting these things in. So, So uh, just take a look at it. You can find them on Amazon and places like that. Dynatrap, it's called. Okay. I'll check it out. Thank you very much. Hey, you're very welcome, Bill. Good luck with that project. And thanks so much for reaching out to us on The Money Pit.
0: Wendy and Georgia, you've got The Money Pit. How can we help you today? I have two drafty doors, and uh, we opted
1: to use the peel-and-stick foam insulator. Okay. And it didn't work that well. And it it just... Created more of a of, of a gap. It seemed like it just it just didn't work at all. And I'm just wondering what kind of solution can we use um, instead of that peel and stick and
3: stuff. So when you say the peel-and-stick foam, you mean when the doors close, you get drafts that come through them and you use the peel-and-stick weather stripping? Yes. Do you want to operate these doors in the wintertime?
4: Mm-hmm,
3: definitely. And what kind of doors are they? What are they made of? Are they metal doors or are they... Um...
4: It's a metal
1: door.
3: So it's an old metal sliding glass door.
1: No, it's a it's a regular door. It's just... Um, and it goes out to our patio, but it's, okay. it's, it's not a wood door. It is made of metal.
3: Oh, it's a metal door. It's a regular metal door.
1: Yes.
3: Are the drafts coming in around the sides and top of the door, or are they coming under the door?
1: Under the door and on the sides, right where the door locks.
3: If the door is out of alignment, in other words, if you close the door and it doesn't evenly strike the jam all the way around, it's going to be almost impossible to get a seal from that type of weather stripping. It's got to strike the weather stripping and then compress it a little bit to give you the seal. Now, I would take a look very carefully, closing that door, like, you know, open and close it from the outside, bringing it to where it just starts to touch the jam and see if it strikes evenly all the way around. If it doesn't strike evenly, then you need to adjust the door. And that's usually done by moving the door jam uh one way or the other to get it to basically hang better so that it will strike evenly in terms of the door uh the at the bottom um the door saddle might be replaceable, or in the alternative, you could do something that's probably even easier and less expensive, is you could put a door sweep on the bottom of the door. Now, a sweep attaches to the face of the door, and it basically goes right down to the floor. It looks kind of like broom-like. It has bristles that are really tight together, and that actually will help a a lot of the breeze that's coming through and under the door. Okay. And then of course you could always go with a storm door <laughs> and, and that's another way to approach the whole thing. Okay? That
0: sounds perfect.
3: Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight eighty eight Money Pit.
0: Now we've got Jay in West Virginia on the line. Something's going on with that garage door. Too hot in the summer, too cold in the winter. What's going on?
2: It was a carport and I enclosed it. Only had to build one wall and then and then frame out where the carport Where the garage door was going to go, okay. And I insulated all that, and I insulated, uh, and it's an insulated door too, of course. Right. And and I insulated my wall. Okay. And it's still just super hot out there. Now I can I have a door that I can open to it that I can open inside the garage, and it like opens up to the rest of the house. Mm -hmm. Now if I leave that open, it will get relatively cool in there. Right. And even uh, warm, too, in the winter. If I, if I leave these doors open, I just wondered how I could, how I could maybe regulate that, other than having my doors open to the garage.
3: <laughs> of course. So, Jay, you have to understand and keep in mind that the purpose of insulation is to keep a temperature separation between two sides of a building. Now because you have no heating or cooling in the garage per se. All it's really, it's not really going to function the way I think that you expect it to. The reason it gets so hot is because the entire section, the entire garage is heating up and that heat is going to eventually get into the garage area, the living space, so to speak, or the working space itself. Now, it's good that you insulated it and it definitely makes it a more comfortable space, but you've got to come up with some sort of heating or cooling to uh, bring that space to the temperature that you'd like it to be. So I'll give you an example. I have a, a two-car garage. It's separated from my house. I insulated the walls, but I had never insulated the ceiling. Uh, it actually, it's it's uh, the way the building is designed. It's got a mansard roof, so I have a pretty big storage area above and, and a staircase. Now, uh, when uh, when COVID hit, I decided, you know what? This is a great project for me to take on like everyone else in America has taken on projects. So what I did is I built a hatch that covered the, uh, the stairway door, so to speak, that hole in the floor, and then I just put insulated foam up uh, in between what would be the ceiling joists and up against the, the, the flooring of the second floor. And okay, so now I got it insulated, but I still didn't have a, any source of heat. I got a small kerosene heater. And it was just perfect for a, for a relatively big space in the cold northeast where I live. It worked perfectly and the working space was always the right temperature and it never spilled up to the upstairs because I blocked that off. Now, in the summer, I just use a big fan and keep the door open. I have a really big pedestal fan and that works for me for there. But unless you had some heating or cooling source, I don't think it's ever going to be exactly what you want it to be. And And by opening the door to the house, you've turned your house into that heating and cooling source because you're sharing that uh, conditioned air, whether it's hot or cold from the house, uh, and getting into the garage. Does that sound uh, like it makes sense to you? That makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, I would take it from there. I I think about how how you can add... add, uh, Do you have a window in it?
2: No, but I I mean, I've not finished out the wall, so I could put a window.
3: Well, I was thinking maybe you could just put a window in in one side of it and make make it so that you can... Open it up for ventilation, or better yet, in the summer, you could put a small four thousand BTU air conditioner in there. You need just something; wouldn't need something very big, and you could run it whenever you wanted to, whenever you guys wanted to work in that space. Right. And then in the winter, you know, I like say you can use, uh, you know, you could use a kerosene heater or something of that nature, whatever you like. They got some pretty nice, uh, you know, wall-mounted heaters too for garages. Although I think most of them are electric and pretty expensive to run. Okay. I got you. All right. I hope that gives you some good ideas on uh, on, uh, where to go with this. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, you've been a big help. I appreciate
3: it. Hey, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at The Money Pit. All
4: right. Thanks. Bye.
0: Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors?
3: That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get socked with allergens, too.
0: Well, if you'd like to choose the best plants for inside your home this winter, the first step is really knowing your house, which rooms get west, north, south, east sun, which ones are sunny in the morning versus the afternoon, and then pick those plants accordingly.
3: Yeah, so what types of house plants are popular and which work best in those varying light levels from low to bright light? Here's a couple of uh, sort of top-line tips. Uh, one is the ficus. Now, this is probably the number one plant that's most requested from nurseries, but it's not a real practical plant for the home. They are difficult to maintain, and they are grown in full sunlight, and they will drop a lot of leaves, a lot of dense foliage. You'll end up cleaning them up all the time. We had one that was very tall. It was about six feet tall. We had a pretty bright spot for it right in front of a like a, a nine-foot sliding glass door. Um, but it, it did drop all those leaves, and it got kind of like sappy and disgusting. after a while, we got tired of it. Now, a good alternative to ficus is a type called the kentia palm. It's been popular uh, in the olden days. You used to see it in old movies where the Victorian homes had these uh, inside the foyers. Every leaf is gradually smaller on every palm. It's got a very, very very deep green color. It's very elegant. So the lady palm is also a good choice. The kensha palm is a good choice. With the lady palm, every leaf is kind of like a lady's hand with like a paper-like kind of texture. So these are very attractive. They don't need near the maintenance uh, that those ficus plants do. And then finally, orchids are a good option, especially the moth orchid, because the flowers last for months. It's really easy to maintain, and it does not need a ton of sun.
0: Now, another thing you've got to keep in mind is when exactly you need to repot a plant. So if your plant is not absorbing water, it's either full of roots and then not absorbing the water properly, or it's so full of roots that there's nowhere for that water to go, and it might be time to repot that plant. So in general, you want to go up about two inches in pot size. You want to use potting soil, which shouldn't be confused with topsoil because that's only used outside. Then use rocks or even pieces of broken clay pots that you might have to line the pot and the bottom with the holes this way the dirt doesn't clog those holes and the plant's not able to drain because it has to be able to drain but it also has to be able to take the water that it needs then go ahead and add soil you want to go almost to the rim and add your plant fill it with dirt to cover and water thoroughly you can also if the plant has just gotten so large at this point and so root bound you can cut it in half very carefully to make two smaller plants so there's lots of different things that you can do with it
3: now for more tips on how to keep your plants kicking all winter long check out our post 13 hard to kill houseplants on moneypit.com
0: Ben in Wyoming's on the line with a roofing question. Tell us what the project is. What do you do it?
4: Okay, it's uh,
2: a T-lock roof, and I've got one set of shingles under it and I want to shingle over the top of that. Is that feasible or is two uh, layers too many?
3: Let me ask you this. How long do you expect to uh, live in this house?
2: The Lord being good to me, hopefully a few more years.
3: (laughs) Well, here's why I asked that question, because I don't like putting two layers of roofing shingles on because what happens is the first layer retains a lot of heat and that makes the second layer wear out a lot faster. Probably you'll lose a third of the life of that roof when you have it have it be the second layer, uh, because it's just so warm. And you know, when you're part of the the country, um, you know, maybe it's not going to be super super hot, but you do have some warm days in the summer. And I still think you're going to have a shortened roof life if you put a second layer on. Now, the option, the other option, of course, is to remove the original layer, and you have like a like a when you say T-lock, it's like a shingle that sort of like weaves together, is what. It Looks like uh, on the roof, you can remove those and then put one layer down, but you have the added expense. So the reason I said, well, how long are you going to be there? Because if you're hoping that roof's going to go sort of through the full 20-year warranty period, which is another topic, because they only warranty the shingle and not the labor, <laughs> so it doesn't give right. you very much. But if you want it to last the 20 years, it's designed to last. Um, I would take off the first layer. But if you're telling me now, short-term living situation, you know, maybe five years max. Um, you're not going to get any benefit out of the the longer roof life, and maybe you save the money and put the second layer on. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, you're very welcome. Good luck with that project, and thanks so much for calling us at The Money Pit. All right. Thank you.
0: Well, a septic system is one part of your home's plumbing that truly most of us would rather leave out of sight and out of mind, but if you don't take care of it, that system really could become top of mind very quickly, and it's something you're going to notice immediately.
3: Absolutely. So what you need to know is this. The Environmental Protection Agency says you, or a pro, need to inspect your tank at least every three years and then pump the tank as necessary. It usually has to happen about every three to five years. And the other part of the septic system to care for is your drain field. That's where all the effluent uh, goes to drain back into the soil. So you want to make sure that you don't do any kind of construction on top of that. Also, not a good place to put the kid's soccer field or the kid's play set or swing set. Just try to leave that area alone, don't drive on it, don't park vehicles on it, plant only grass over it and near your drain field, and this is going to prevent it from getting damaged by roots as well.
0: Yeah, now here are some other ways that that tank could fail you. You want to make sure that household toxins, things like oil-based paint, solvents, don't go in that septic tank. You want to also avoid getting kitty litter, coffee grounds, and grease into that septic system as well. Take a look at your household cleaners. You want to make sure that you're not using hazardous ones, and you want to avoid ones that say dangerous. danger or poison on the label, and caution means it's only moderately dangerous. Now, if you've got a hot tub or maybe another chlorine source that's draining into a septic system, that's going to kill the good bacteria, which you need to have in there to do the job of actually making that septic system work.
3: Now, if you need step-by-step advice on how to maintain your septic system, we've got a great post that walks you through it at moneypit.com.
0: Phyllis in Ohio, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today?
1: I have a uh, trellis. Uh, It's on, I just have a small porch, and in the wintertime especially, the wind comes ferociously from the northwest, and the trellis is put up on, uh, screwed up on uh, two-by-fours, and I was wondering, I was going to get a good grade of plastic, should it be put on the outside or the inside of the trellis?
0: Plastic to protect from the wind or plastic to protect the lumber?
1: No, plastic so the wind don't blow into my front door. And I had the trellis put up so I could, in the spring, I want to put uh, flowers that vine up there. But for now, I want plastic to keep the wind away from my front door.
3: Do you have a storm door on your front door?
1: Yes, but it still
3: comes through. Now, this trellis, as you describe it, I mean, there's a lot of different types of trellises. Is this a trellis that's flat on the wall, or is this sort of like a a portico where it kind of goes out and surrounds the door? No. No.
1: it's on the porch. I imagine my porch is probably maybe four or five feet wide, but it's on the porch, on the outside of the porch, on two-by-fours.
3: I see. So basically, and the, and the porch has a roof, right? So it's not just a deck?
1: Right. It's got the, It's got a uh, roof, uh-huh.
3: So you kind of want to enclose your porch, so to speak, with this plastic sheeting, is what you're suggesting.
1: On that one spot, yes, where the... It's right there. As I go in and out
3: the door. All right. Well, it's probably not going to be that attractive, but I guess what I would do is put it on the outside. Because this way, as the wind blows against it, it'll press against the trellis and it'll be less likely to tear. If you put it on the inside, the wind's going to go through it and it'll constantly pull itself off the trellis. Okay. So I think it will be secure if you put it on the outside. And as the wind blows against it, uh, you know, that trellis will help support it. Okay. Fine. Thank you. All right. Good luck, Phyllis. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: Now we've got Stephanie in Colorado on the line who's installing some French doors. How can we help you? My husband and I have sliding
1: doors in our bedroom that go outside, and we have French doors uh, that we have. They're all ready to put in. They're framed, and um, I I was just calling to see if you had any advice about putting them in.
3: Well, I mean, let's presume that the... French doors and the sliding doors are going to fit in the same opening to start with. Is that correct?
1: Uh, The French doors are a little taller.
3: Ah, that's a problem.
1: (laughs) Just about an inch.
3: Yeah, that's that's a tough inch to pick up, you know, when it's in the height like that. The thing is, you're going to have to figure out, if you have enough room to get those French doors in, Stephanie, without having to cut or modify the header, that's going to be above the sliding door. Because the distance from the floor to the bottom of the header, that's called the rough opening. That's the rough vertical opening. And that rough vertical opening has got to be taller than the distance from the bottom of the French door to the top of the jam of the French door. Because if it doesn't, you're, you're not going to get that French door in that opening. It's absolutely critical that the rough opening be sized properly. So you could probably figure that out by just pulling the molding off from the side of the slider, and you'll see enough of the framing there where you can get a pretty good measurement as to how much room. Sometimes there's a fair amount of room above the the sliding doors until you get to the header, and, and maybe you'll have that room. Now, if you've got the room, putting that French door in Is it's not a basic do it yourself project. I'm just going to tell you that right off. But the way I would approach it is the first thing I would do if it was me is I would take the slider out one panel at a time. You want to try to make this as light and manageable as possible. So you remove one panel, then the other, then you pull out the slider frame and you put the French doors in the same way. You take the doors off of the hinges and what you actually hang, quote unquote, inside the opening is just the frame of the French doors without the physical doors in place, just the outside jams. Because that's very easy and lightweight to handle. And if that's installed properly and square, then the doors will pop in right after that with minor adjustment. But that's the way you approach it. Again, not a basic do-it-yourself project. Putting a door in is one of the more tricky projects. So if that's above your skill set. I would definitely um, hire a carpenter or a handyman to help. All right, Stephanie, thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT.
0: Well, sprinkler systems are a luxury that affords you a green lawn and garden all through spring and summertime. But if you live in a climate where they do need to be winterized, it's a job that you have to get done right. Or you could be faced with a big repair bill come springtime. Now, there's really three ways to winterize a sprinkler system. There's manual, automatic and blowout. And the first step in all cases, though, is turning off that water supply.
3: Correct. Now, for the, there's three ways to do it, right? Uh, first, it's called the manual method. You just open the drain valves and you allow the water to drain. Now, the problem with this is that sometimes the water is still under a lot of pressure and it comes out really quickly, but then some of it gets stuck in the pipes. It doesn't drain fully, and that leaves those parts of the sprinkler system full of water and very susceptible to freezing and breaking. The next method is called automatic draining, and as the name implies, it's automatic. They have valves that automatically open and drain the water when you shut off the supply. Apply to it, and the water pressure is less than 10 psi. And to activate these, you just shut off the valve, and it does the rest. And then finally, there's what we call the blowout method. It's done by a pro only because you need a really, really big air compressor, and it uses forced air to make sure all the water has been pushed out of the sprinkler system. Uh, that I think is the best way to go. If it's part of your regular sprinkler system service, great. Uh, if it's not, it's something you might want to consider, especially if you had to replace a pipe that broke over the winter in the spring. It could be a real mess and add some unexpected. Expecting expense. But it's important that you. however you do it, you get it done now so the water doesn't sit in those pipes and freeze and break them, at which point you will only find it when you turn them back on. You can have a bunch of little unexpected geysers around the house, or worse yet, you can get a flood in your basement or your crawl space or on your driveway. It could be a real mess. So take care of it now before we get that first batch of really freezing weather.
0: Doug in Texas, you've got the money, but how can we help you today?
4: I've got a 30 year old home here in Northeast Texas
2: wanting to know the best way to upgrade my insulation in the attic it has what i would call it look like a recycled newspaper maybe blown in there probably about two and a half three
4: inches thick and wondering if i could just blow a new type insulation on top of it or do i need to do preparation first
3: Yeah, you can add additional insulation, and that makes a lot of sense. But I would not put new insulation on top of that old insulation because the old insulation is probably settled down, compressed, and it's not insulating as well as it should. So what I would recommend is that you remove the existing insulation. Then if you want to go with blown-in, there's actually a product out now that allows you to do your own blown-in insulation. It's from Owens Corning, and it's called Attic Cat. And the way Attic Cat works is you go to your local Home Depot, and you purchase the Bags of attic insulation, and if you buy ten bags, they will give you the blowing machine for free. The rental there's no charge for the rental, and then the blowing machine gets positioned, you know, outside your house or in your garage or whatever. The insulation packages slide into it. It's almost like designed as a slot. You put it right in the side. You take the hose up to your attic, and it's remote controlled, so you can turn the machine on and off and control the flow. And then this type of insulation gets into the nooks and crannies. It expands nicely. And it's low dust, so it's a very easy way to do your own blown-in insulation and get a really good, contiguous, solid application of insulation in that attic.
0: Well, and a targeted application as well.
3: Yeah, and you can do a whole house in about four hours.
4: Okay, great. Well, I appreciate the advice. I feel like I need to get a big vacuum cleaner to get filled out.
3: (laughs) Yeah, the new insulation will go in in four hours. Getting the old stuff out, though, that's going to be a day. (laughs) Good luck (laughs) with that project. All right, thank you for your help. Hey, guys, would you like to reno your bath with beautiful new fixtures and faucets from American Standard and Growy? Well, you can by entering the riverbendhome.com beautiful bath sweepstakes. The entry form is at com slash sweepstakes. So here's what we got, 3500 bucks in bath fixtures, faucets, and more from Riverbend Home. You can enter once a day at com slash sweepstakes. There's going to be three winners, and then you get to go to riverbendhome.com and check out all the American Standard and the grow- roe fixtures you can tell them what you want and uh, we're going to have a two thousand dollar a one thousand dollar and a five hundred dollar winner again it's moneypit.com slash sweepstakes
4: this is the story of the wad. as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently
3: to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, there's no one who loves decorating for the holidays more than my friend Leslie, and there's no better place to decorate for the season than your entryway. And as luck would have it, that is the topic for today's edition of Leslie's last word. Leslie, we're not having nearly as many folks visit us this holiday season, but you can certainly share the season with your community by having a great looking front door.
0: I mean, I still want the house to look awesome. I don't want you in my house, but I want you to come see the outside of my house. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And know that the inside is also equally cozy and fun decorated for the season. So, truly, guys, your entryway does serve as that perfect place to show off your love of the season even if you're not going to be having all of those big family gatherings this year. So, here's a couple ideas to hopefully inspire you. Now, fall wreaths are definitely a beautiful touch. You can pick up some basic styrofoam or even a grapevine wreath from a local craft store and gather things from your own yard to pin to it or wrap around it. If you want to look for leaves, pine cones, acorns, or whatever else says fall to you. Now, when it comes time for hanging them, you want to avoid putting a hole in the front door. It could damage it or avoid that warranty. Now, you can get a small easel and prop it up on your porch, or you can use fishing line or a suction cup and hook to hang that wreath. Now when it comes time to speak of that front door more and it comes Christmas time garlands. Garlands are definitely Christmas, but I have garlands on my front door come October 1 through January, whenever I feel like taking things down. But I've got a Halloween garland. I've got an autumn garland. I've got Christmas garland with lights on it. So you can definitely find something that's super simple, even if it's just rope that you're attaching fall decor to, or you can frame that door by propping tall corn husks up on either side and then placing some pumpkins. So there's definitely ways to surround that entire door and entry point to really be gorgeous and if you're using an artificial leaf garland you can add some orange lights it only takes a few seconds and that will really create a lasting first impression Now, when you're choosing your decor, you want to plan for items that are going to take you all the way through to wintertime decorations, if possible, like corn, squash, pumpkins, even planters of purple cabbage. And if you get a head start next year, you could even have Thanksgiving themed decor up from late September all the way through the end of November. I sort of have layers of my Halloween decor that stays up and sort of, you know, feathers back the spooky to then become more just autumn harvesty.
3: I have those uh, app lights where they change color, so I put them up at Thanksgiving and have all the oranges and the purples and the yellows, and then at Christmas time we switch to the red and the green, and <laughs> I don't have to do it twice.
0: I mean, I think that's fantastic.
3: This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, thanks so much for spending this part of your day with us. Coming up in the next edition of the Money Pit, they're easy to install, affordable, and add a sense of security and peace of mind. We're talking about motion detector spotlights. We're going to share some very simple ways to add these to your home without all the wiring hassles. You can add them to your home and your landscape. And we'll tell you how to do just that on the very next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a
4: body.